Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. Over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. Well, hello, dress listeners. Welcome to another edition of Fashion History Now, where we, you know, kind of try to share with you exciting things in the world of fashion and fashion history as they're happening today. And one of the most exciting things to happen in the last week, April, you and I were both there at the launch, was the launch of fashion historian and theorist Kimberly Jenkins, the Fashion and Race Database, which is an online platform, I'm quoting from her website, filled with open source tools that expand the narrative of fashion history and challenge misrepresentation within the fashion system. And she established this in 2017. She's relaunched it um, now in July of 2020. And we're not going to go in too much detail today because we really are hoping to have her as a guest on the show in, in the future. But let's just say this is an incredibly invaluable important and timely database, um, head on over to fashionandrace.org and we'll provide a link in our show notes as well. So definitely check it out. Lots of excellent resources, especially if you are an educator. Um, it has been, it's new and improved and expanded and um, there's some really fun new little features in there as well. So check it out. Kim will be joining us um, to talk about it in further detail in August. Yay. Yeah. So something I was listening to this week that I wanted to share with our dressed listeners, um, Benjamin Wilde was on the show on Tuesday and he and Lucy Clayton have the podcast Dress Fancy. They just did this fantastic podcast episode on the ugly makeup revolution. Have you oh, heard of this? Oh, yes. Fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, so they're, I'm not going to go in too much detail here. I'm kind of directing you to their episode called Viva la Revolution, Makeup Gets Ugly. But basically, ugly makeup is exactly what it sounds like. It's the exact opposite of, quote unquote, beautiful makeup, right? Mm -hmm. So we have these societally instituted standards of beauty. And Ben and Lucy really talk about how ugly makeup is about makeup that really pleases the wearer. Um, what is important to your own sense of self, your own sense of uh, validation and validity, and maybe it doesn't conform to societal ideals. Um, and it really challenges, you know, kind of those homogenous beauty standards where everyone looks the same, right? So if you think about the Kardashians and facial contouring, um, of course, this changes. Makeup has fashion, is part of fashion, just like, you know, clothing is. So it changes over the years. What is, you know, that ideal beauty standard? But it's really, really fascinating. And they actually direct you to two Instagram accounts that I wanted to share, which is the Ugly Makeup Revolution and Makeup Brutalism. And these are really fantastic Instagrams. People get really, really creative. And I would say these are, you know, non-typical types of makeup um, that people are using for self-expression, but they're really beautiful in their own way. Yeah. For sure. Um, I also think like there was part and parcel of that a few years ago. There were a lot of like viral videos going around of people smashing their makeup too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I think we talked about it too in South Korea, especially there's mm -hmm. kind of like this pushback to the beauty culture, which is 
really quite toxic there, um, as beauty culture can be in general, because, you know, it is an ideal and often an unattainable ideal and the links that women go to achieve those ideals, including plastic surgery. Um, so I remember reading about that, uh, yeah. that a couple of years ago too. Um, so I wanted to expand upon something that we mentioned a couple weeks ago. Um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, the trans model Jari Jones, who had been part of the Calvin Klein ad campaign for Pride. And uh, she was featured on this ginormous billboard on Times Square, and she was super thrilled about it. Well, um, some other really interesting developments in terms of trans models um, being featured uh, has come up this week. It was announced that Valentina Sampaio, who is a Brazilian transgender model, is going to appear in Sports Illustrated this year, which is pretty incredible. Um, and, and talking about it, uh, she has said, quote, thank you, S.I., for seeing and respecting me as truly as I am, for understanding that more than anything, I am human, Thank you for supporting me and continuing to spread a message of love and compassion and unity for all. I believe that better people build a better world for all of us. And I stand for any and everyone who, like me, suffers prejudice for not fitting into society's standards. And Cass, like just within the last few weeks, there have been all these tremendous breakthroughs for trans representation. You know, uh, Valentina in particular has already broken down a lot of different types of barriers. She, um, not only this is going to be the first trans woman to appear in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, she's the first openly trans Victoria's Secret model currently. Um, she was also the first trans woman on the cover of French Vogue. And she's also appeared on the covers since then of Vogue Brazil, which is her homeland, uh, Vogue Germany, among many, many others. And she's also a brand ambassador for L'Oreal. So this is really interesting to see how quickly, um, um, you know, we're seeing trans representation within the beauty industry happening. Yeah. And it's all fabulous and we're here for it. Let's keep doing this. Let's keep moving the, you know, fashion industry forward. And I, I'm glad you mentioned Jari Jones because that reminded me that she just posted this week on her Instagram, some in images juxtaposing herself with her grandfather. And I didn't know this, but her grandfather was one of the fashion industry's first kind of well mainstream black male models. Ah. And she recently was interviewed for Office Magazine and she talks about, she says, um, my grandfather was one of the industry's first black male models. So I grew up hearing people in my family close to me breaking barriers. So that's always what I wanted to do. And he always told me, if you don't see it, go do it. So I didn't see black trans women or black trans plus size women in the media the way I wanted to see them. So I decided to do it myself. So head over to her Instagram to see, you know, that juxtaposition. I mean, how incredibly cool and special is that? That's such an awesome history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So something I've been wanting to talk about for a while now, April, is costube. Costume. Ah, yeah, I think I think you have mentioned it very briefly on on a fashion history now minisode in the past. Yeah, and we've talked about it on the show many times. Um, but this like worldwide costuming historical costuming community that has become really um, come into focus on Instagram. I've connected with so many people wonderful men and women all around the world to participate in historical costuming in one facet or another. I mean, it is just an incredible community. So on Instagram, but there are also many, many of them are on YouTube. So costume is basically costuming 
YouTube. Um, and it's all these costume focused YouTube channels that really display all these different facets. So be it sewing in 19th century corset, um, different elements of cosplay. Um, there's a channel for that basically. And there's this fantastic Instagram account called Costube Guide. So C-O-S-T-U-B-E Guide. And it's they call themselves the official Costube Guide. You're TV guide for costume on YouTube. So basically they post <laughs> <laughs> daily guides, time schedules to keep followers apprised of new videos that are being published on YouTube. So an example is this past Sunday at 10 a.m. EDT, 4 p.m. CET, the Victorian archivist posted a video on 1700s writing habits, part two. Mm. Um, Then at 4 p.m., there was scribble stitch color theory um, in the Hamilton costumes. So scribble Ah. stitch would have have been the the video um, content producer. And then color theory in the Hamilton costumes. Um, This past Monday, scraps and sequins released self-drafting a bustle pad. So there's just all of these incredible videos. And of course, once they're on YouTube, they stay there. But this is basically like a, a launch schedule. And I reached out to them and uh, they they responded just to tell me a little bit more about themselves. Noelle responded. Um, she has an account costuming drama. She's one of five admins of this account. And she basically said, we're really just community members that want to help the community grow and gain visibility. She says that the costume community used to be pretty small, maybe even as little as six months ago, there was just a handful of us, but we are an inclusive and encouraging community. And our mission was to make everyone feel welcome. So it bloomed very quickly over the last year. Um, Nikki Leem had this brilliant idea to make a TV guide of sorts to make it easier for people Mm -hmm. to find us and discover new channels. So really, really fun. And of course, this is it's no way an exhaustive list. People can actually, there's a link in their bio and we'll put it in our show notes. If you want to be a part of Costube, you can email them um, and kind of be a part of their scheduling service. But many, many past dress guests, April, as you know, have YouTube channels. So Abby Cox and Lauren Stoll, who are the women behind American Duchess, that's a company, they're purveyor of historic footwear. They're also historical costumers them, themselves. As you know, one of my favorite video series that they do is the Jigo Girl Gang series, which is like <laughs> these 1830s dressed women going out in modern society and riding scooters. They're even interacting with camels. There's all these different videos about historical costuming and modern day settings. Abby has her own channel, Abby Cox, and she actually recently just teamed up with the recent dress guest, Cheney McKnight, to do the series Five Historical Films on the African Diaspora. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely in- encourage you to watch it. That's on Abby's channel as well as Cheney's channel, which is Not Your Mama's History. Yeah, I mean, there's so many incredible YouTubes. Dandy Wellington, who we've mentioned on the show, band leader, producer, style activist, all around Dapper Gent has a wonderful YouTube. You can find videos like Finding your personal style in the vintage community and bow tie watch before you wear. Dr. Carlene Darnell, vintage Egyptologist, also one of our very first guests on the show. She just started a YouTube channel with her husband, John. And it's not specifically fashion, but they are always dressed in 1920s and 30s vintage almost exclusively. <laughs> and they will be that. joining us again um, shortly, if I yes, am not mistaken, very, very correct? Soon. Yes, absolutely. So anyways, um, so many, so many wonderful channels. I highly suggest you check out. 
the Costube Instagram and Costube Guide on Instagram and any one of these wonderful channels we just mentioned. Cool. I will get on that. I have, I do follow them. So, um, but I probably should be a little better about catching up on all the videos. Oh, and I do just want to say, April, that I'm going to put this out there to our listeners. I would love if someone did this for fashion events because there's so many fashion history related online chats. Like I swear, like every day there's something happening and I'm always the last to know. (laughs) I'm always like, this happened now. I think uh, Fashion Map has been doing um, quite a bit of that actually. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she's incredible. Fashionmap.co. Yep, exactly. Fashionmap.co, not C-O-M.co. Of things to watch, we have to discuss Couture Week because oh, yes. typically it wouldn't necessarily be something that we strictly watch, but this Couture Week, of course, has been a little bit different. Um, it just passed this past week, and people are now referring to it as not necessarily Oak Couture Week, but Digital Couture Week. Right. (laughs) (laughs) As uh, Business of Fashion uh, succinctly summed up, it says, Fashion Week was basically video week. They went on to say, there was a lot of MTV to the proceedings, if without the creative energy and anarchy. And I have to agree because, ooh, it was a rough one. (laughs) You know, (laughs) perhaps, perhaps... You know, that may be expected in this challenging time. Um, You know, these collections were all created during the pandemic. And for that reason, most of the presentations were done by way of video. And, and, you know, Cass, we almost always chat a bit about Haute Couture Week and all of the incredible innovative things uh, that we see presented on the runway. But, But this year... Well, let's just say there there wasn't anything out there that exactly blew my mind. You know, big picture, the season felt kind of listless and and not particularly imaginative. You know, it was heavily referential to a lot of fashion history. And as a fashion historian, usually I would be excited about it, but I can't say that it was particularly implemented in the best way. You know, we, we see more than one designer that seems to have suddenly, all of a sudden discovered 1980s fashion and simply <laughs> remade things that might have been, may as well have been like YSL from the 80s and then just kind of right. sent it down the runway. You know, at Dior, there was one particular Grecian inspired gown, which I think we might touch on here in a minute. Um, and that easily could have been a, a creation of Madame Grey or even the couturier Jean Desay from the 1950s or the 1960s. So overall, I, I didn't feel like there's a ton of meat to discuss here in terms of the couture offerings from fall 2020, but there are a couple of video presentations that I do feel like are worth a bit of attention. Uh, the first one that I want to talk about is, is the one I just mentioned that is by Dior. And they basically, for their couture presentation, created a 15-minute long fashion film to present the collection. And there are some really interesting tidbits in here. Um, it, it opens up with a shot of the Dior Ateliers and with a team of seamstresses. It was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Very carefully creating these fully fashioned dresses on miniature tabletop mannequins, you know. And I, I don't think this is the usual practice that Dior, for, we know for sure that Monsieur Dior preferred directly to drape on his fit models. We have lots of documentation of that. But this practice of actually creating in the round 
on miniature mannequins before a design would be scaled up to human size. This is a technique that more than a few legendary fashion designers have employed. Madeleine Vionnet um, is, was especially known for that. So as we move on to the film, we see these mini mannequins um, that have been now loaded into a very, very large trunk, which has been created to resemble the exterior of the Dior Couture House on Avenue Montaigne. And it's now being carried through all of these really beautiful bucolic landscapes by two bellhops dressed fully in livery. <laughs> and along their adventure, these bellhops encounter all sorts of frolicking water nymphs and a mermaid. And there are all these other direct references to female figures of ancient myth. Um, we even see a love scene between Apollo and Daphne as she turns into a tree. We see an ancient statue that slowly turns her head to view the offerings on these little mini mannequins that the bellhops are presenting to her. So, and, and that is that is what's happening. This is the exchange with all of these encounters. The bellhops are presenting the mini mannequins to all of these enchanted ladies. Um, and then they, in, in this awe and amazement of the designs, they make a selection. And then the film cuts back to the Dior Atelier where the seamstresses are making the human-sized versions now. Now, and then it cuts back again to all of the enchanted ladies wearing them. So Cass, I know that you watched this as well. Do you have any <laughs> thoughts on the Dior fashion film Fall Couture 2020? Um, it was very magical. And I've talked about this on the show. Magic is what really brought me to fashion um, mm-hmm. in a weird, bizarre way. But, um, you know, magic... When fashion designers and fashion photographers have evoked magical sentiments in their aesthetic and their campaigns, that is what brought me to fashion. And like, if you just think of Timothy Walker, Tim Walker photographs, so incredible. So this is what this reminded me a lot of. So, um, you know, all those mermaids and there's those nymphs and this idea that there is like this magical quality of fashion because they all end up basically what would be, I mean, getting measured for and buying these garments, right? These haute couture pieces. But what was really fascinating too is that Maria Grazia Chiari, who is the fashion designer behind Dior, she was inspired by the Teatro de la Mode of the 1940s. Um, So yeah, so I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about that because um, that was a wonderful fashion history reference to include. Yeah, and, and it was, you and I didn't even talk about that, but in my notes here, it says literally, Teatro de la Mode-ish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the Teatro de la Mode um, was produced um, following World War II um, as a means to um, kind of not only continue to promote French couture and the recovery thereof, but also as this project that was kind of almost like a travel, it was a traveling exhibition that was a, a liaison kind of with the United States. So all of these haute couturiers um, created miniature little ensembles that were dressed on these dolls. And so immediately when I saw these dolls in that traveling trunk, it clicked. And I was like, oh, this is a direct reference to that. Um, so yeah, it's very charming. Several of you in the past have actually asked us to do an episode on the Teatro de la Mode, and we will get to that. We have the, some of the original catalogs for that in our collection at Special Collections, Cass. Some of the original exhibition catalogs. Yeah, and we should do an episode on it because it's really, really fascinating. And I, I don't know about our listeners, but I love miniature things. And these miniature garments that are featured in this video are all handcrafted by this incredible staff of 
of craftsmen, of men and women and artisans. And they're all doing it with the most intricate of details. It's so incredible. And Carrie really talked about how she was inspired by the Teatro de la Mode because it really in the in the post-World War II landscape was, she says, you know, it was this idea of promoting craftsmanship and also the idea that couture houses were alive. So it was really about stimulating business and reminding people that the haute couture was alive and well. And mm-hmm. um, just a really beautiful um, concept in general. Yeah. And there's that connection that there's that connection there between like, you know, fashion going through a period of crisis. Um, And I thought that that was a really smart reference. I I thought the film was really, really well done. It was very amusing and magical, but I have to say when it actually came to the couture designs themselves, they were all very beautiful, but to me, they all felt like something that we had seen before kind of, Yeah, you know, the designs themselves didn't, necessarily feel new or fresh, um, certainly not controversial in any way. They kind of had this feeling that it was almost like a dress had been remade that you may have seen in a museum exhibition somewhere before in the past. Right, right, right. Um, So that was kind of my feeling on that. I do want to talk about another show where we did definitely see some things that were fresh and new, even if not a bit outlandish and way over the top. And that was the Victor and Rolf show, Cass. I am now becoming more and more and more of a fan of theirs. You know, (laughs) they always manage to infuse fun in their work. It's always really playful. Oftentimes it's a little bit like tongue in cheek. And this fall 2020 couture collection is no exception. Yeah, I mean they are they are the embodiment of the art of fashion for me. They're one of the few reasons that I even pay attention to contemporary fashion because you know with Victor and Rolf they're always going to do something original and meaningful and incredible and this like you said this collection was no exception. Yes, always very imaginative. So for this particular presentation, what they did was they created three capsule collections and each of these capsule collections had three looks in it. Um, As they say in their fashion film, three wardrobes for three mindsets in these extraordinary times. And each of these wardrobes begins with what they call in the fashion film a nightgown. But it's more of like a simple dress, I would say, that what we would call it today. And then the second um, piece within these capsule collections is a Dizabier dressing gown. And then the third piece is an outerwear look. And I think that we have mentioned this term before on the show cast, um, but it's been a bit. So Dizabier, it's a French term um, that would kind of translate to semi-dressed or, or partial dress. Really what we would kind of call loungewear today. But as you may have guessed in the context of haute couture, this is no ordinary loungewear. And I'm going to ask you which of the three collections is your favorite, Cass. But mine was definitely the second of the three collections. Um, It begins with this peachy pink satin columnar dress. Um, And the top, uh, the neckline is asymmetrical. There's one shoulder is bare. And then on the other shoulder, it kind of has like a little poof pop sleeve. Um, and, And it's a this really like delicious, luxurious peach pink satin that's a little bit wavy. But the 
sublimely amazing part of this dress are the appliques that are on the dress. And all over on the dress are these appliques of lace and sequins that are yellow emoji faces. (laughs) And all the faces are different, just like on your phone. Um, And they're meant to highlight our current conflicting emotions. And we know this, Cass, because we are told this because this entire film is formatted like a 1950s couture show right? Where a single model comes out into a room. She kind of does her twirl and her spin, shows off the garment. There's an announcer who describes the ensemble. The model leaves, another model comes in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this announcer commentary that they have added is quite humorous. So good. (laughs) For instance, for the dressing gown look in this collection that I like, the second one, it comes out and it's this really fuzzy, pink number and it has a very wide structured skirt. Just imagine as if you had a bathrobe and you're wearing it over a cage crinoline. That's kind of the silhouette that I'm talking about here. And there are these fuzzy sashes that are crossing the the torso of the dressing gown. And down one arm, there's this whole ladder of bows, which decrease in size. And then the announcer says, and I had to, I re-listened to this like three times because I was cracking up. It says about this, the shell of bows endeavors to soften the impact of muffled horror, which is emphasized by the listless color scheme of pale pink and canary yellow. So this <laughs> this is really a commentary on what we've been all been going through during the pandemic. Um, and then within this collection, the, the third piece is yet another like very voluminous creation. Um, it's a pink coat and it has these really protruding, brightly colored tubes sticking out all over. I mean, it's it's out of control. It, it, it's not necessarily, this is couture, right? This is a couture at its finest. It's not necessarily something that you would see someone wearing down the street. But they say about the piece and its construction, it said, they say, the announcer says, it's generous A-line volume guarantees you will remain in your own safe zone as you venture out into the world. So there's so much to say about this collection. I loved every single thing about it. Did you have a, a, a favorite of the three capsule wardrobes that they offered? I did. And um, actually, I and you just kind of touched on it too, but like this is very much a pandemic era collection. They're commenting yes. almost exclusively on the pandemic. Um, the fact that these are all like, they have these incredible, like like you said, disobey um, at home gowns. It's like a commentary on what we're wearing at home. They've like created these elaborate ball gowns out of what is essentially um, terry cloth, bathrobes, um, <laughs> nightgowns. Um, And um, these capsule collections are each named. The first is called the Anxiety Wardrobe. It's in different different colors of black and gray. The two garments that you just talked about are part of the Confusion Wardrobe. And then the final um, aspect of the capsule collection is the Love Wardrobe. And so just a little bit more... um, about the coat you just mentioned that has these like protruding holes. The narrator talks about how this is like a safe zone 
for you to venture out into the world. And really, this is can be seen as a fashion history reference because as we posted very early in the pandemic, there was a meme going around about cage crinolines and how cage crinolines, because they were so expansive and wide, kept men at a distance. And that actually caused a lot of anxiety in society about not being able to access women. And this coat is very much a, a reflection of that same idea that you can go out into society, you can socially distance, and no one can actually get to you. One of my, I loved the entire collection. I love the narration. Everyone's going to have to listen to it. We're going to post links to both of these um, fashion videos that we just talked about in our show notes. But, um, you know, I really just love how Victor and Roth so geniusly produce fashion while making fun of the fashion system. Mm -hmm. As far as I know, they don't do ready to wear anymore. They just do haute couture because they didn't really want to have to be subject to the restraints and the requirements of participating in fashion. But the final piece in the show and the final capsule collection is all about love. It's the love wardrobe. And there's like all these glittering hearts in this final, final piece So despite the anxiety, despite the confusion, Victor and Rolf are still leaving you with a message of love. And they said that the finale dress is designed for a loving message, proudly features the heart symbol that shows unity. We all deserve to be loved regardless of age, color, gender, race, religion, or sexuality. And then they say social distancing never felt so sweet. So, <laughs> yeah, and that last piece is really incredible. It's it's the, basically like this really sumptuous white trench coat, again with these super wide skirts that are kind of like worn over a cage crinoline, and then down like radiating from from the shoulders and all the way down the arms are hearts of like different shades of pink, and they get smaller and smaller and smaller as they go down to the cuff. So. It's it's really incredible. And about the love collection too, they also said, if we could change ourselves as easily as we change our outfits, who wouldn't choose love? So right, um, major statement made there with that particular collection, and and that's what fashion should be right now, right? And you can't we can't ignore what's happening to the world around us and how everything is changing. And and I just it it warms my heart. It made me very happy. So. Yeah, it's an incredible collection. I do have to say, as you mentioned, like it's kind of a rare bird and it's going to be um, moving forward into what will be the digital fashion season for the spring 2021 collections, which is going to be very interesting, uh, very interesting landscape and very interested to see how designers are coping with and dealing with the current landscape. But fashion is changing Um, The relevancy of fashion, the production of fashion, everything is changing. So we see in fashion. Exactly. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. But I think um, ending with this Victor and Rolf show is a great way to end the show because um, the message, well, it can't be more clear. All we need is love. Yes. So dress listeners, that does it for us this week. Perhaps you will consider the representations of love that you find in your closet next time you get dressed. Please tune in on Tuesday for our full length episode. And if you would like to write to us with any questions or suggestions for a future fashion history mystery, you can email us at dressed at iheartmedia.com. Or you can DM us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast. 
And as always, special thanks to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio who makes this show possible each and every week. Catch you Tuesday. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.